The Y Curve with Phil Dobby and Roger Hearing. Well, a little over a month ago, Andrew Bailey, the Governor of the Bank of England, was telling us why he had to put up interest rates again for the fourth time in a row. Nevertheless, given the current tightness of the labour market, continuing signs of robust domestic cost and price pressures, and the risk that those pressures will persist, the committee voted at this meeting to increase bank rate by a further 0.25 percentage points to 1%. And back then he said there was more to come. But most members of the committee judge that some degree of further tightening in monetary policy might still be appropriate in the coming months. Well, today they pushed up interest rates again. Another quarter percent added. So will it work? Will it stop inflation? And how much hurt will we feel in the meantime from all these increasing interest rates? It's not stopping here. I was living in Australia back in the late 90s when the Prime Minister Paul Keating made an excuse for the downturn in the economy with these words. It's certainly to say is that the accounts do show that Australia is in a recession. The most important thing about that is this is a recession that Australia had to have. Well, are we all heading into the recession that we all have to have? And is that a line that central bank governors will be using themselves soon when their policies send us all into that recession? And what do they hope to achieve by pushing up interest rates? Do you actually understand exactly what it is that they do that brings down inflation? We'll look at how it all works today on the Y Curve. The Y Curve. Now, I should say that Australia was in a very different place back then to where we are today. Back then, the Aussie economy was suffering the unwinding from the massive spending of the 80s. Interest rates back then were falling, and so is inflation, which is not the problem we face today. Today, back on the other side of the world, more than two decades later... We are also facing a recession for very different reasons. Inflation really is seen as a problem. And if you think interest rates are moving up a notch here, just look at what's happening in the United States. Here's Jerome Powell, the head of the Federal Reserve, their Bank of England equivalent, announcing their latest rate hike this week. Today, the Federal Open Market Committee raised its policy interest rate by three quarters of a percentage point. Three times more than the Bank of England. anticipates that ongoing increases in that rate will be appropriate. In fact, he spelt out that they're going to do it again at the next meeting, next month, or maybe half a percent, if not three quarters of a percent. And probably the one after that, they'll do it again. Maybe even the one after that. So how does this work? Prices are going up because supply is being held back because of the war in Ukraine and the fact that China, where we still get so much of our stuff from, is still having lockdowns because of COVID. How does getting you to pay more for your mortgage help fix that problem, that supply constraint that's creating these rising prices? Let's look at that today. Callum Pickering is Senior Economist at Berenberg, and Roger Hearing is here as well. He's just been quiet in the corner. Uh, He's here to talk through all of this. Let's start, Callum, with this idea of monetary policy, which is what we're talking about today. What is it that banks like the Bank of England, what is it that they do? I mean, they try and keep the economy stable. They want to avoid runaway inflation by influencing the amount of money that's in the economy, but more importantly, increasingly, the cost of borrowing. So when inflation looks like it's creeping up, that's when they push up interest rates to try and calm things down. But how does that actually work? Take us through the logic of how that is supposed to stop inflation. Well, monetary policy works with a like. Um, and the future is very, very hard to predict. And so there's always an element of risk when it comes to monetary policy. What you do today, based on how you think the economy will unfold tomorrow, may, you will find out in the future, prove to be the wrong decision. But if all things are working well and the economy is sort of stable, what you would do is you would anticipate that inflation is likely to rise because the economy is strong. You'll start to gradually raise interest rates. And that should, with luck, prevent that 
rise in inflation and leave the economy on a more stable path for longer. Right. And so but, but why? Talk us through the steps. So on, on that time like uh, thing, so the Bank of England says it's two years, isn't it? They say yes. it takes around two years for the monetary policy to have a full effect on the economy. But yep. what is it that pushing up interest rates, just practically, how is that going to get well, the, the economy back on an even heel? In, 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 in one respect, um, interest rates are the wrong focus. Um, the interest rate changes once the Bank of England has already influenced the supply of credit into the economy. And so Money is like any other good or commodity or service. It has a price, and that price is the interest rate. And so if the Bank of England restricts the supply of credit and money into the economy at a time when money demand is strong, which usually happens during the the growth phase of an upswing, that pushes up interest rates. And so um, when you have a higher interest rate, you're induced to save. Uh, you're less induced to take on a credit in order to consume. And so with higher interest rates and less uh, growth in the money supply, demand tends to be more moderate. If demand is more moderate, then prices of things we consume, goods and services, tend to grow at more moderate paces. It, it doesn't just work in theory. It works in practice. The challenge is because of this lagged effect, and because of the uncertainty of the future, it's just very, very difficult to fine-tune monetary policy. You might say there's a there's an ex-ante, ex-post conflict. You find out after you've acted whether or not it was actually the right decision. And unfortunately, yeah. when an economy suffers big shocks, all too often you find out you actually pursued a, a, a wrong strategy. So, so Callum, to pick up that line, what's happening, you're saying in normal times, you talk about normal times, the way this, in theory, works, the lag and all the rest of it, but these yeah. are anything but normal times, as you kind of alluded yes. to. And there are so many uncertainties and so many things outside the control of governments or even central yep. banks. So is it going to work this time? Could it work? Well, we can certainly get rid of the inflation. Uh, it's just whether or not we can achieve that without causing a recession. Mm. Um, and that is going to be very, very difficult. And so just to provide a, a, a quick historical recap on why we are where we are, um, we had after the financial crisis a very unusual period of low interest rates and low inflation. Central banks struggled to avoid a, a deflation, which is where yeah. prices fall. A hell of a way so from we, where we are now. That's correct. But, but we've conditioned ourselves with that experience. And so last year, when inflation started to rise, we did not expect it would last very long. And so when I say we, I say we economists and central banks and even markets. And um, so central banks did not pursue what would be a textbook policy response, which is to start raising interest rates. They actually thought that this inflation would just wash out. Turns out it didn't. And then at the start of this year, with the uh, war in uh, Ukraine and then the uh, broadening of zero COVID policies in China, we've actually seen an amplification of inflation because global supply has been throttled. And so central banks are now behind the curve. Mm. They found out they committed a policy mistake by not normalizing policy sooner. And so now the question is, can you achieve a a so-called soft landing? That is, can you bring inflation down without causing a recession, given that you've already committed one policy error. Um, I'm very sceptical that they can achieve this. And so it leaves me wondering if 
actually the best thing right now for economies is actually to have a short recession, to get rid of the inflation, be done with it, and then move on. Because actually under the surface, fundamentals are actually quite good. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're good in that uh, there's lots of people still working, but we do have these cost of living pressures, don't we? I was at a cafe uh, at lunchtime today that was empty, and normally it's uh, it's full. It's a nice day. You're wondering why wasn't anyone there? And they said, hey, it's been a bit like that lately. And I'm just wondering whether, you know, and also we're seeing retail sales uh, up a little bit in the last month, but well down on where they were before the pandemic. Uh, and uh, yeah. you t- I think in, in amongst all of this, the Bank of England is running a bit scared that if they go too far, things are just going to get worse. They are worried about a recession, aren't well, they? I, I think, so that, just to unpick that a little, there's, 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 one, um, there's one element of that which I often hear, which... I disagree with. And this idea that the economy is slowing, we have to be very careful about what we mean by that. We mean the economy is slowing in real terms. That's the amount of stuff that we're producing and consuming. Um, That is largely due to supply constraints. And so we physically can't get the goods that we need. If you look at the economy in spending terms, so cash terms, in nominal terms, it's actually growing very fast. And so um, we, we like to imagine a world in which uh, you only raise interest rates when the economy is strong because usually we don't have these supply constraints. But unfortunately, we have a world where in nominal terms, the economy is very strong, but we aren't getting the goods to match because of these supply constraints. And so the Bank of England needs to um, react to this. Uh, yeah. The risk here is that we get a stagflation well, um, that would be very damaging. That was the word I was going to come to out of all this because because that is what everyone's talking about, the potential for stagflation and the immense pain that's out there as well. I mean, you know, even saying, well, you know, a small recession might help. I mean, there's a lot of pain going to be suffered from that. Mm. And in these circumstances, Callum, where you have, there is an upside to, as far as the government is concerned with all this because of the everything that they're raking in, uh, the so-called inflation tax, their liabilities diminish. You've got, obviously, the, the markups, the VAT, uh, the, yeah. the fuel levy. I mean, they're raking it in. Isn't this a question really where fiscal adjustment is what's necessary to dull the pain of the recession if we have to go through it? Well, that for me is the, the last um, thing I would do is add more demand to a supply constrained economy. I think that would be a mistake. What we often do is we focus on the recession as if that is the problem. That is not the problem. That actually may be the remedy for this problem. Um, We need to go through an adjustment period where uh, the private sector adjusts supply to meet demand. And if that means that inflation strips away some demand for a while, that may be helpful. The problem is what caused the recession. And that is, well, a necessary distortion because of uh, restrictions to uh, control COVID, but then excessive monetary and fiscal stimulus during the recovery phase. Okay, so there's a couple of things on what you've just said there. First of all, uh, just on this idea about fiscal stimulus is a bad idea because it's just going to make it's just going to put more money into the economy, so there's more spending power. But of course, if you have if you have a recession. I mean, it's a very uneven impact, isn't it? So it's the, the lower end of society, the low income earners who are going to feel it more than the, the high income earners. And we know that lots of people have saved. And I think that's part of the reason as well, isn't it? Why we're, we're not seeing, uh, people cutting back on their spending even as prices go up because they've got money sitting yep. in their bank account. As you say, probably from the government just pumping too much money into the economy during, during COVID. But those yep. people who receive money and don't have savings are the ones who were on the breadline, spend all the money that the government gave them, haven't got those savings. 
savings. And if we go into uh, uh, a, uh, a downturn now, they're the people who are going to suffer even more. So I wonder whether you can actually say, well, yes, we'll have some s- stimulus, just as in Europe. You know, maybe they need to put some stimulus into southern European countries because the, the wealthy countries in, in northern Europe aren't going to suffer. Uh, and, and But just make it very targeted stimulus, which, we, of course, we should have done during the pandemic. Um, again, in, in, in theory, lots of things are possible. In practice, we simply do not understand the nature of the economy well enough mm. um, in order to sharpen a tool that slices where we need it. We need to keep in mind here that two risks cannot simultaneously materialize. We cannot be in a world of persistent runaway inflation and also be in a world where people cannot afford higher prices. In order for the inflation to remain persistent, we have to keep spending. And so we need to find out which world we're in and then design the tools accordingly. The incoming evidence seems to be we are in the world of persistent inflation with a risk that it could become runaway inflation. And so unfortunately, um, in that world, we have to suffer some pain. Um, and delaying the pain may actually mean in future we suffer even more pain. And so you mentioned at the start of the interview, I thought it was a good point, that the Bank of England needs to keep the economy on a sustainable path. Well, in practical terms, what that means is, can you keep the economy as close as possible to its sustainable potential growth rate? But occasionally, this is a business cycle economy, it's a free market, you do suffer downturns. And so you say, which downturn actually gives us the least pain. And so if the central bank were to raise interest rates by a lot and cause a recession today, that would eliminate the inflation. It may trigger a little rise in unemployment, but you would restart with an employment recovery and no inflation. People that are less well off will suffer, no doubt, but they will soon be back in jobs and the economy yeah, will be recovering. For, for, forgive me, Callum, I mean, this is all sounding very Thatcherite. It's, you know, the pain, yeah. it, it ain't hurting, it ain't working. Actually, that's more John Major, but it, it's well, that kind of feeling. And, and I mean, that's very hard political stuff. So don't forget there's politics in the back of this as well. Yes, and it, that's that's essentially the trouble because, because this is in, almost impossible politically to stomach. What we will be inclined to do is try and prevent this by stimulating, by handing out money. Mm. And the consequence of that will be next year, we'll have a persistent inflation problem that's potentially worse. Inflation expectations become unanchored. And then what the Bank of England will have to do is raise interest rates by even more, induce a much deeper recession with much higher levels of unemployment. And during the recovery, keep interest rates high in order so that inflation doesn't start to surge during the recovery phase once again. And so the costs there of employment, uh, sorry, excuse me, of unemployment will be much, much higher. So the people that we try to help may actually be much worse off in the future if we administer the wrong kind of medicine. Yeah, so, I mean, the two questions are how long and how deep. So on the on the how long, I mean, we mentioned, you know, the Bank of England is saying, you know, it takes two years, really, to see through the, the, our response to anything in terms of monetary policy. Mm-hmm. And we know they've been late. So that would say, you know, that uh, if they're kicking off now in, in response to something, we're not going to see the effects of this until, you know, two years down the track. Well, I'm I'm not so sure. Um, If the Bank of England were to just change the interest rate today and do nothing else two years from now, then you might start to see the the full extent of the effect 
when we say two years, it's not that you do something and then two years later you see the effect. It's that after two years, you feel the full effect. Mm. So you do see some effects near term. But because the Bank of England is consistently suggesting to markets, actually, we're going to do more and more and more over a given period, expectations for tighter policy means that today, banks will change their loan pricing. They will restrict the supply of credit. And so you start to see a more immediate effect based on the expectation that monetary policy will become tight. Um the Fed, the Bank of England, even now the ECB, whether or not they're explicit about this, seem to be preferring to run the risk of causing a recession near term because they know the pain associated with that will be less than a recession that would come next year as a result of a monetary reconditioning. And so our choices often are not between win and lose, but it's lose-lose and which loss is smaller. Just on the, so my other point was about how deep. So if, because it's all about supply and demand, isn't it? You know, we've got too much demand and we've got very constrained supply. I mean, you know, something we've never, you know, it's unusual in that respect because we've Mm -hmm. had this uh, perfect storm. So you've got to get demand down to supply. I mean, and if you're, if you're going to do that by raising interest rates, is it going to get that far? I'm just wondering, is there a danger that we're going to get to the stage where we have a recession, but we haven't gone far enough? Uh, and so we've still got inflation happening. That is a potential outcome. The the, the, the future is highly uncertain. Um, the last time we had something similar was in the 1970s when we had a supply-constrained economy because of the um, OPEC oil embargoes. Um, what we learned is that the countries that try to accommodate that, so that would be the UK and the US, actually fared much worse in employment and growth terms afterwards than countries that did not try to accommodate that would be Germany with the Bundesbank. And so we need to just remember, even if we try to accommodate these shocks, we actually may be doing more harm than good. Um, the, 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 the other thing to keep in mind here is that we set prices and wages based on our expectations for the future. And so what the Bank of England can do is it can reason from things like measures of inflation expectations, whether or not the medicine is working. And interestingly, over the last few weeks, we've seen inflation expectations, which is still very elevated, start to turn down. And so the Bank of England will be looking at that more than it will be looking at incoming wage and price data to see whether or not this policy is working. But Callum, you're referring there to the 70s. I'm old enough, I remember, I remember cleaning my teeth in the dark and, and a telly going off at 10 and all kinds of stuff like that. But the thing there, when we talk about the oil shock, that was a one-off. That was something that happened and we kind of absorbed it. Um, the problem now surely is, you mentioned uncertainty, the big factors affecting this, what's going on in China and the Ukraine war, are continuing things. We don't know in what direction or duration they will have or go. Um, for that reason, any planning like up to two years ahead is virtually impossible, isn't it? Well, the, the, the key point here is just to say, what was the response to those one-off shocks in the 1970s? And the response was that the Western world became less dependent on OPEC for hydrocarbons. And so there was a painful one, but one nonetheless, market adjustment. The same thing will happen now. And the question is, do we actually speed up or slow down that market adjustment? Um, And well, if you end the inflation near term, 
and remove some of these distortions, that market adjustment will happen fast. Right, but but, if, but if you're putting up interest rates, aren't you making that? Sorry to interrupt, but that's what I do. Aren't you going to? Aren't you going to make it harder to, uh, to see that transition? So, for example, you could say, you know, we're we're, we're going to have to be more self reliant on agriculture in this country because we can't mm-hmm. get it from the Ukraine, uh, and so we want new businesses to set up. New businesses well, are finding it hard to set up because we push interest right. rates up so much. And that's all long term. That's not yeah. short term. Yeah. It's a fair question, but again, I go back to the point, the choices here for central banks Hmm. are, well, let's play for a soft landing, but we may either have to deal with a short recession soon or a bigger recession later. And the bigger recession will do much more damage to the private sector adjustment than the short recession. And so you would always have a preference for the outcome that has the smallest output losses. I want to go back to almost where we started. We, I won't ask all the same questions again, <laughs> please to know. But I would do want to go back to the first one about how, a recession in question, right? how it actually yeah. works. So if I am spending too much, yep. and uh, the Bank of England, it's the same around the world, obviously, every central bank more or less is facing the same problem, except some, curiously, which seem to be going the other way, like uh, uh, China, for example, and Japan. Discussion for another day, but if I uh, if I uh, I'm spending too much and they want me to spend less, they push up my interest rates. The only impact I can see that's going to have is going to push my mortgage up. So I might have a bit less money because I've got to pay a higher higher mortgage. But imagine, you know, those people over fifty who've paid off their mortgage. Yep. uh, You know, it has no effect on on them. How how is that changing their behaviour? So let's take. uh, let's let's call this person. I don't know, Mister X. He's I think call, stand- call him Phil Dobby is, is what you should be. Phil, doing. Phil, Phil, Phil Dobby uh, is our representative economic agent. So um, median pay, median income, median age, just he, middle of the pack. He, yeah, the the most right. ordinary economic agent you can imagine. Yeah, steady and on so, <laughs> so and, and, and so what you, what you would expect is um, this person to have some credit facilities which they can automatically go into. Oh, um, and so that would be things like credit cards. It would be things like overdrafts. Plus, they will have a mortgage to pay. And it may, may or may not be unvariable. And then they would be able to um, go to the bank and very quickly through their app, take out a loan for in expanding the house or something like that. Mm. And so interest rates will affect all of these variables at different time horizons. And so if the Bank of England raises its interest rates, what it does is it gives banks, which private banks, commercial banks, which issue those credits, a choice between issuing uh, our representative economic agent a credit or taking that money and parking it at the Bank of England um, at a higher interest rate. And so by raising interest rates at the Bank of England, commercial banks are induced to earn the higher interest rate at the Bank of England at zero risk rather than issuing credits to the representative agent. And now what you need to keep in mind is when inflation is exceeding wage growth, you have to borrow in order to maintain your consumption. And so as soon as you limit that ability to borrow, then you do not allow that person to continue to match price growth when they don't have the wage growth. And so by stripping the demand out, what you do is you limit the inflation. So that is that is assuming that the growth that would have occurred in the economy that we that, that is funding this over uh, this increased demand is credit driven 
And yet we've said that, you know, we have a lot of people with excess money in their bank accounts from the, the last couple of years. So less need for credit, apart from obviously, you know, paying off your mortgage. Well, those um, higher interest rates also affect saving. And so it would induce higher savings rates. But for most people, um, they will be suffering from higher inflation. They will have to take some consumption smoothing um, behaviors in order to maintain consumption. Callum, we've been talking about central banks and how they function and all the rest of it. We talked almost entirely about inflation. What, what about uh, an interest rates? What about uh, the other tools in the in the central bank's armory? I mean, you know, obviously we've seen an awful lot of QE. What about clearing the balance sheets? What about all those kind of things? Are they out of ammunition on that? Is that is that possible to do something with that? Well, interest rate policy is, is a blunt tool, but we have broad inflation. And so there's no reason why you wouldn't want to administer a blunt tool. All of the other policies that central banks have um, are a bit more precise in their nature, um, you know, financial regulations, even things like quantitative easing. What, what will be interesting over the next um, few months is how central banks manage their balance sheet strategies. And so central banks have been buying assets over the last decade, more slightly more than a decade, actually. This is called quantitative easing. Um, and this has been a highly effective policy because we had this balance sheet recession after the financial crisis. And essentially, we we managed to uh, reverse this. We managed to get ourselves in a, in a, in a positive equity position from a, from a whole economy perspective through quantitative easing. But we no longer need this. Um, and so central banks are starting to uh, reduce their balance sheets. But one consequence of this is that the amount of what you call reserves in the commercial banking system will fall in proportion to the no, the assets that central banks have on their balance sheets. And so the question is, is this desirable? Well, another we question. Is have- it, it, and does it make any difference is another question. So if, I'm, if I've got in yeah. reserves, I've got uh, uh, bonds which are, then get sold to a central bank and then the central bank uh, sells them da- back to me. I mean, it's an asset swap, isn't it? So whether it's cash or bonds, the only difference is when it's bonds, I'm earning interest on it. If it's cash, I'm not. So, you know, hence the interest in earning bonds. So, But I mean, it's not, it doesn't make a huge difference, does it? Well, we do have a kind of a fractional reserve system. And so when you um, reduce the cash reserves, you do have an impact on the interbank lending rates. And so it's more expensive for banks to lend to each other. And again, what what you're doing by influencing interest rates at the short end is essentially giving banks a choice between um, earning an interest rate on a daily basis in highly safe, highly liquid markets, or giving that cash to a household or a business for three or five or 10 years at a higher interest rate, but with much more risk. And so as central banks can affect these um, reference rates, um, they can affect the supply of credit. Again, to, 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 to the point to emphasize here is, is, in theory, you can do this like an engineer twisting dials and judging temperatures and and deciding actually what do I do today to affect the world in the way that I want tomorrow the economy just does not operate like that this is a, a this is a natural phenomenon in many ways and so central banks uh, may just be institutions which can overstimulate or completely kill the upswing but they can't really exist in the gray area. And so I think we're unfortunately in the world where the only way central banks can uh, get rid of this inflation is just to do a, a hard stop and slam on the brakes and then restart. That's what I fear we're in. So uh, can governments 
help in that rather than hinder because of course you make you made the yeah. point that if uh, if they're trying to make it hard to buy stuff uh, then the last thing in the world you want is for the government to start uh, putting money into people's bank accounts uh, or cu- or cutting tax for example which is uh, what the government is saying they want to do after having lifted taxes but actually uh, and of course you know they want to be seen the, the good guys and they're very happy for the for the banks to be seen to be the bad guys but it is isn't uh, isn't tax actually a, a less blunt instrument? Could you actually do the same thing with tax with less impact uh, or involvement from central banks? So you could say, for example, well, we it's the, the people we want to stop spending are the people who are the big spenders, at the, uh, who, who are the high income earners. So we're mm-hmm. going we're going to tax them heavily, so they've got less money to spend. Uh, and uh, you know they may borrow uh, to compensate. So maybe you do need some progressive taxation. That's a, yeah, it's a yeah, novel concept, weird. isn't it? Yeah, you, you're just a raving socialist, though, Roger. You're into that sort of thing. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, isn't that another approach? And then on top of that, isn't there sort of like a natural self-correction anyway, that people are will buy less the more prices go up? We'll see volumes go down, obviously, because it's, it's getting more expensive. We've only got so much money in our bank account. And then if we have a chunk of that taken out in tax as well, doesn't that achieve the same aim, only in a more focused way? Well, I... I, I Fully, fully agree with the idea that fiscal policy is more precise and it can affect um, consumption across the income spectrum, perhaps in a way that would be desirable in this environment. Uh, but again, what we have is a problem where the economy is an incredibly sophisticated entity that we do not understand well. Um, we can't predict it. And so even if you were to attempt to do that, what you may in fact do is um, either not do enough uh, or do too much. Mm. And so the the risk in such an certain environment is that you make one of those two mistakes. Um, and if you make the, the mistake of doing too much, actually not too bad, you have a recession, which again, the recession is not the problem. The problem is what led to the recession and that is already done. That's already baked in the cake. We can't do anything about the fact that we overstimulated last year. We've talked, you've talked very enlighteningly about what you, what you think uh, the problems are and what the options are. What do you actually think that governments and central banks will do? What's your sense of what's going to happen, how they are going to tackle this? My sense is that central banks, um, because they're political entities, I don't think they're going to come out Volcker style and say that we're going to throw the bitter medicine at the economy until we fix the inflation problem. But I think actually internally, um, this is the policy that they're going to follow. I think central banks would like a soft landing. They want to avoid inf- uh, a recession and bring inflation down, but they know that's going to be hard. And so they're willing to essentially tank the economy near term, inflict some pain in order to get rid of the inflation. They would much rather do that than not do enough, allow a much bigger inflation problem, and then have to really tank the economy and keep it down for a while, as we did during the the the, the, the late excuse me the eighties, and then start again. I think central banks they are in that camp, whether they admit it to the public or not. Um, when it comes to government, unfortunately, we have um, learned the wrong lesson from. COVID. COVID revealed to governments that actually, even when debt is high, uh, you can still get away with a lot of borrowing without panicking markets. And so what we should have done is said, well, if we can actually borrow and markets don't mind, let's think about on a five or 10 or 15 year view, how we can 
fix our economies and how we can improve their trend growth rate. Instead, we've had governments just trying to write as many checks as possible in a hurry. And so when governments don't fear the fiscal consequences of borrowing, they will just try to write check after check after check in the hope that the problem will go away. And so you have governments tempted to stimulate their way out of this, which won't work, and central banks implicitly deciding that they're willing to uh, induce a recession in order to get rid of the inflation. And there's tension between these two institutions because they're going in opposite directions. And so this just leaves me worrying that we have to go through a very painful adjustment period. The best policy would be to do almost nothing and let the economy just figure this out for itself, which it would in time. Go, there we are. Governments and central banks yes. are getting in the way is basically yes. what you're saying, yes. isn't it? So, and meanwhile, bunker down. Good to talk, Callum. You've uh, explained a great deal. Fascinating stuff. I like this idea of doing nothing and it'll all get better. Um, that suits my purpose <laughs> in many just, ways. How long is it going to take? Thanks, Callum. Thank you. Now, am I being cynical when I say that uh, they are going to do just enough to mess things up? Uh, but also, again, you know, we've got banks and governments. Are they going to work against each other because of this supposed independence between the two? And uh, is that going to make things worse as well? There's a conversation for another day. But we move on. And next week, a rail strike for a big chunk of the week next week. We'll look at the reasons for the strike. But also, aside from that, how come our trains in Britain are so slow, so unreliable and so bloody expensive compared to other parts of the world? We invent the railways why has it all gone so wrong that's next week me and roger hearing on the y curve see you then the y curve